0: President Tsai Ing wen continued her state visit of Eswatini on Wednesday with a tour of a hospital. Mbabane Government Hospital has a team of Taiwanese doctors on site. It also recently
1: renovated its referral and emergency complex with support from Taiwan. During the tour, Tsai said the renovations once again show that Taiwan can help. <laughs>
2: Before entering Mbabani government hospital, President Tsai wen checked in on her press corps, asking if they were staying warm in the cold. With big temperature swings and part of life in Eswatini, illnesses are common, making healthcare crucial. Tied toward the facilities, carefully inspecting the equipment. The hospital's referral and emergency complex was renovated with help from Taiwan, which provided half of the funding.
3: I remember my first visit to the Mbabane Government Hospital five years ago. As was mentioned in the briefing just now, back then, the referral and emergency complex was under renovation. So seeing the brand new facilities today demonstrates how Taiwan can help
4: we shall remain committed to advocate for the active and meaningful participation of Taiwan in the activities of the World Health Organization. As it stands, it does not make sense. Taiwan has one of the best health systems I have seen. Um,
2: Ambabane Government Hospital is the largest state-run hospital in the country. It has a Taiwanese medical team on site. Under Eswatini's public health care system, patients paid just a 20-anti-registration fee to access all the brand-new advanced medical equipment inside. Make, make a
3: we offer free clinics at least twice a month to close the urban-rural divide. In this country, everyone knows about Taiwan. Taiwan has provided a lot of assistance here. After the renovation of the referral and emergency complex, the next step for the medical team is to renovate the hospital's inpatient building to further advance medical diplomacy.
1: President Tsai is visiting Eswatini with many seasoned Taiwan politicians, but she's also joined by a popular YouTuber. Comedian Tai Chi-yuan went along to make video
0: content on what it's like to be a presidential aide. From attending official functions to fielding media questions, The YouTuber is experiencing what it's like on diplomacy's front lines.
3: It's a banquet in Aswatini held in honor of President Tsai Ing-wen. This man filming with a smartphone might appear to be one of Tsai's aides. But look twice, he's a familiar YouTuber. He's none other than YouTuber Tai Zhiyuan, who's joined Tsai on her visit to Africa. He is here with the production team from Muyao 4 Super Playing, filming content on what it's like to be a presidential aide for a day.
2: The presidential office had been discussing the concept with the Muyao team since the beginning of the year. We wanted to let viewers know how tough it is to be in a frontline diplomatic delegation.
3: Tye was at the airport and on the charter plane, he even had a go at answering media
5: questions.
3: Tai came fully prepared, and he's documented many fine points of working as a diplomat. But his presence in Eswatini has raised questions on who's paying his way.
2: All expenses are paid for by the Muyao team. They are paying as much as everybody else, staying in the same accommodation and flying in the same class on the plane.
3: The presidential office stressed that Tai and his team were paying for the trip out of their own pockets. His YouTube content isn't out yet, but already it's provided plenty of fuel for debate. Executive Yuan plans to provide free
0: NHI to unemployed adults 65 and older starting in 2025 at the earliest. It made the announcement on Wednesday after KMT's Hou Yi proposed NHI subsidies for all adults 65 and older. Ho blasted the government for partially copying his policy.
2: The DPP has done nothing for seven years. Now they've decided to follow my lead. If they want to copy me, they should copy the whole thing, not just half of it. They're just trying to keep up with the Joneses by rushing out this crude policy. It's not very responsible of the government. Universal NHI subsidies for adults 65 and older could squeeze the budgets of other welfare programs. The Executive Yuan believes that it's not advisable to rush this policy. Based on the budget scale and scope of care, it must conduct calculations and assessments and carefully weigh considerations of fairness and financial burdens before submitting the proposal for cabinet review. We will assess all aspects of the proposal. Older adults without earning power and elders who need care will be given priority.
1: The NHI director says that universal subsidies could make the health program system unsustainable. Therefore, the plan will first target adults 65 and older who are unemployed and are not the dependents of their children. Some 700-thousand people are expected to benefit. A new way to test patients for poisons is to set to revolutionize toxicology. The ramen spectroscopy test can detect diverse
0: types of poisons in just 30 minutes. That's incredibly fast compared to traditional tests which can take hours, days or even months. The new system comes from a team of doctors and scholars from several Taiwanese hospitals and universities. They hope the ramen-based test can be used by first responders all over
1: the country to reduce the time it takes to get a patient the treatment they need.
3: An ambulance takes a patient to the hospital as fast as possible. But for many toxicology patients, it's hard to define what has caused their illness. It can take excruciatingly long to work out what is causing the problem.
2: Sometimes in the ER, the doctor can tell the patient has taken illegal drugs and that's causing their discomfort. But a traditional test and screenings can't detect it. It's the future. These portable Raman-based platforms will help us overcome those problems.
3: Toxicology expert Yan Zhonghai finds that many patients arrive at his hospital with poisoning from pesticides, food, or narcotics. Traditional mass spectrometry tests and urine tests take three to six days and blood tests 10 to 12 hours. A hair sample analysis can take more than three months. But now, he and colleagues from NTU and NTHU have developed a faster method.
2: The nanostructure amplifies the signals from the materials we're trying to detect, so we can carry out spectrometry tests at extremely low concentrations, and we don't need to use different tests to detect different materials.
3: The ramen based platform is a joint achievement by doctors and academics. The test sample is dripped onto a nanometal surface. The sample is then analyzed with ramen spectroscopy, a kind of laser scan. In just 30 minutes, a toxin can be detected. The technology works on pesticides, drugs, clinical medicines, and food additives.
2: If it's soluble, it can detect it very fast. For example, Taiwan is hot and humid. When you leave something out, it tends to get moldy and tends to secrete aflatoxin. They can be detected fast, and then you know not to eat that anymore."
3: The team hopes their testing platform will be rolled out widely in clinical settings and made available to first responders. Working out the cause of an ailment fast can be the deciding factor in getting the patient the help they need.
0: The Penghu ferry has completed its maiden voyage. The brand-new boat replaces the Taihua Ferry, which ran the Kaohsiung-Penghu route for three decades. Carrying 268 passengers, the Penghu Ferry left the port of Kaohsiung Wednesday night and arrived in Magong on Thursday.
1: The Penghu was made over two years by a Japanese shipbuilder. It measures 120 meters long and has a top speed of 22 knots. It can carry more than 600 passengers, as well as four buses and 82 passenger cars. A ceremony will be held to officially inaugurate the ferry next Tuesday. Audiences have been captivated by the time-lapse videos of photographer Feng Yehui. The Malaysian-born artist came to Taiwan to study and fell in love
0: with the beautiful isle. He specializes in what might be the most time-consuming and exhausting type of scenic photography time-lapse. But his landscape videos, showing off Taiwan's rolling clouds, blinking city lights and blooming flowers, are nothing short of breathtaking.
3: Huan Shan in Nantou. Azaleas bloom and clouds swirl like breakers on the ocean. Tsai Lake in Wanrong Township, Hualien. An incredible view of the heavens. Time lapse photographer Feng Yap Hui has been all over Taiwan, even visiting the blue tiers in the Matsu Islands and green and orchid islands. Feng came to Taiwan seven years ago to study and fell in love with the country. Now he captures his beloved with a lens. He says that over the years, he's been all around the island 100 times, visiting the tallest peaks and the most distant islands. He's climbed Shan more than 200 times.
4: 因为说实摄影他是一个...
2: Time-lapse photography takes a long time. You have to wait for the scenery to appear and then come to an end. So you need lots of patience and love to withstand the long time spent waiting or feeling lonely.
3: Feng had more time after graduating to explore Taiwan. This brief five-minute video was a labour of love, but he says it's his way of expressing his heart.
2: 我想要更完整的... I wanted to show in a thorough way the diversity and richness of Taiwan's land. I focus on presenting the different local areas and not on photography techniques to capture big views."
3: Time-lapse is one of the most time-consuming and demanding types of photography. But for Feng, it's a pleasure, and his work is a feast for the eyes.
1: Semicon Taiwan kicked off in Taipei on Wednesday, featuring the latest in semiconductor
0: technologies. The Ministry of Economic Affairs is showing 52 forward-looking innovations at a themed pavilion. One highlight is an award-winning hybrid atomic layer deposition technology for sub-2 nanometer processes. Another is a high-efficiency chip cooling solution that can achieve
1: 1,000 watts of cooling capacity, five times the rate of traditional technologies.
3: Semicon Taiwan is underway. At the invitation of the Economics Ministry, industry leaders attended the launch of a themed pavilion featuring 52 cutting-edge technologies.
2: Over the past five years or so, we invested a total of 25 billion NT in developing these forward-looking semiconductor technologies.
3: Presidential office senior advisor Shen Rongjing attended the grand opening and hailed Taiwan for its world leading chip sector. The pavilion features a hybrid atomic layer deposition technology for sub two nanometer processes. As chips get smaller and more sophisticated, deposition technology must become increasingly precise and uniform. This latest technology can perform plasma spray and thermal spray coatings in the same chamber, enhancing efficiency.
2: We hope to drive growth in the domestic semiconductor machinery and equipment industry to promote it more overseas. We also want to raise the self-sufficiency rate of the domestic chip sector to make ourselves more self-reliant.
3: Amid the boom in AI and high-performance computing, demand is surging for servers and data centers, making efficient cooling crucial. Working with the chip sector, the Industrial Technology Research Institute developed a novel heat dissipation technology. It can be attached directly to a chip to speed up heat. Conduction. While traditional cooling elements can provide 200 watts of cooling capacity, this new technology can achieve 1000 watts.
2: All AI applications need advanced high speed chips. As for the heat on these chips, we've developed a new product that can be attached directly to the chips for heat dissipation.
3: By 2030, the global semiconductor industry is projected to be worth 1 trillion US dollars. Taiwan is poised is to be a key driver of future growth. With output value surpassing 5 trillion NT last year, Taiwan ranks second in the world, reaffirming its technological strength.
0: TSMC is struggling in Arizona, with installation delays and other issues delaying its production target by one year. But these setbacks aren't enough to put off loyal customers. The CEO of AMD, Lisa Su,
1: says her company will be one of the facility's very first users once it launches in 2025.
3: Construction machines run outside the factory, while EUV systems are installed inside. Citing a labor shortage, TSMC has delayed its production target by one year. Even so, it still has the support of major client AMD. The Arizona factory, very important to us. We're going to be one of the early
4: users. Uh, we're putting. Um, Our first tape-outs in uh, shortly uh, with the idea of being a significant user of Arizona.
3: Speaking at this year's
4: Goldman Sachs
3: Communicopia and Technology Conference, AMD CEO Lisa Su reiterated her trust in TSMC. She said that once the Arizona plant starts mass production in 2025, AMD will be one of the first to use it. TSMC has been a phenomenal partner for us, uh, in terms of advanced technology, both on the silicon side as well as on the packaging side. And, uh, you know, we very much value that relationship. When you think about the geopolitical situation, uh, geographic diversity is important to us. Sue stressed that amid geopolitical risks, companies were diversifying their supply chains. She said that TSMC, with its advanced processes and global leadership, was an important partner for AMD. Amid rising demand for AI servers, many AMD products are dependent on TSMC chips. I think we've been um, in this um, space uh, for the last five years, and I think we have the confluence of events right now where you have a market that is uh, skyrocketing. Amid the AI boom, AMD has seen customer inquiries convert to actual orders. Market growth seems to have no end in sight, putting TSMC in a strategic position to benefit.
1: Now for a spotlight on the thriving beekeeping industry of Kaohsiung. The beekeeping industry in the southern city is worth 200 million NT and has long-standing roots.
0: Today, we meet the Wu family who have been keeping bees for more than 70 years. While three generations of Wu's are working at the hives, they're also innovating and constantly looking for new ways to turn honey into gold.
3: This family is totally unfazed by the bees filling the air. Three generations of Wu's are all beekeepers. Grandpa Wu Shi'an, 86, has been keeping bees for over 70 years. His son Wu Ming 61, is a winner of the Shen Nong Farming Prize. Even the third generation Wu Zhen already has more than a decade of experience in beekeeping. <laughs> Granddaughter Wu Xuanchao has also returned to Kaohsiung to join the family business. She manages marketing and quality control. She grew up with bees, but as she told us, it wasn't easy to take over the family business.
5: When I came back, it was quite a struggle because it was quite boring in the factory doing repetitive work every day. I felt quite restless for the first two years. Then my dad supported me in moving to something different, trying something different. So I went and created an art tricycle to promote our honey. I met a lot of young people through that and it felt fun and interesting. That made me want to find and develop some new products here.
3: That enthusiasm brought novel perspectives into the traditional industry of beekeeping. Now the family have exciting packaging and use biotech to produce drink products.
5: I've been keeping bees since I was a child. We all have a mission to keep bees, and I feel so happy to be able to turn them into different products and share them with everyone."
3: While the family keeps their traditions alive, Kaohsiung City's Agriculture Bureau is doing what it can to help. The Dagangshan Gangshan Longyan Honey Culture Festival is a big event. Last year, Kaohsiung produced 918 tons of honey, about 11% of the whole country's production. This year, the premium Longyan honey won 12 gold prizes and six special-grade prizes at the festival, with all the honeys winning three major stamps of approval.
5: Simply put, they have to pass three tests. First is our CNS national standard, second is our HACCP standard, and the third is our halal certificate in Kaohsiung.
3: The beekeeping industry in Kaohsiung is worth 200 million NT. Farmers and officials are working hard to promote the industry and keep this golden hive buzzing.
0: South Korea is a popular destination for Taiwanese, and now it'll be even easier to travel there. A new direct flight launched on Thursday connecting Taiwan and the city of Changju, the route is operated by South Korea's Aero K, which will offer a daily service.
1: The maiden outbound service carried about 50 passengers.
2: Thank you. So... Changju is at the center of South Korea. It's a very convenient and developed place. It's very easy to travel from Chungju to places like Seoul or Busan. There are so many options. Now we have more places we can go. We've mainly visited Seoul. If you wanted to go to Chungju from there, you'd have to travel all the way there and take two hours.
1: Taiwan has direct flights to several destinations in South Korea including Seoul's Incheon and Gimpo Airports and Busan. aero is the first airline offering direct services to Chongju. Located in central South Korea, Chongju is packed with tourist landmarks. It, it's also a popular place for shooting historical dramas.
6: The International Sustainability Standards Board, ISSB, Director, Hiroshi Komori recently visited Taiwan to participate in the 14th Taipei Corporate Governance Forum.
4: Thank you very much for a kind introduction and uh, thank you for having me today uh, at the great uh, 14th Taipei Corporate Governance Forum, uh, which uh, of which uh, I like the corporate governance very much because of my career. Uh, my my background at the ISSB is half of my background is at uh, uh, investor side. Uh, uh, I, I mean, that I worked for a GPIF, a Government Pension Investment Fund in Japan, which is uh, one of the largest uh, asset owner with a two, 200 trillion Japanese yen or 1.7 trillion U.S. dollars uh, in the world. And also, before that, I worked for Sumitomo Mitsui Trust Bank uh, where I worked as a ESG consultant, mainly corporate governance. To the Japanese companies uh, between from the since 20, 1999 to uh, 2015. Then I am now working for ISSB since the first of September last year so uh, this is just a one-year anniversary for me at <laughs> the ISSB and I am based at uh, Asia Oceania office in Tokyo right now so I'm very pleased to be here Uh, to talk about uh, what we discussed in the past one year and also what we are going ahead uh, with uh, stakeholders like uh, all of you today uh, for the future of the next generation.
6: After the forum, he had a special meeting with the Accounting Research and Development Foundation, our DF, to discuss ISSB's related work and challenges in applying sustainability standards. Hiroshi Komori stated that ISSB is currently focused on promoting IFRS Sustainability Standard 1, S1, General Requirements for Disclosure of Sustainability-Related Financial Information, and Sustainability Standard 2, S2, Climate-Related Disclosures. While also discussing future sustainability topics that should be prioritized, he emphasized that the key difference between ISSB standards and those published by the International Accounting Standards Board ISB is that ISSB standards require disclosure of future-oriented information, whereas ISB standards primarily require historical information. The integration of these two approaches will be a significant challenge in a matter for external consultation regarding the challenges in applying S1 and S2, as companies are required to disclose sustainability-related information in addition to financial information. This will create time pressure for preparers. In response to this, our DF Chairman Wam Yixin shared a method to alleviate the pressure, which involves initially requiring the disclosure of partial sustainability information in the first year and gradually increasing the disclosure content in the second year, thereby assisting the industry in adopting the IFRS sustainability disclosure standards smoothly. Hiroshi Komori also participated in a discussion initiated by RDF, along with Tim Kasim and Owen Jones from ISSB and ISB, regarding XBRL classification standards for S1 and S2. They discussed practical application issues and challenges related to these standards. XBRL Committee CEO Joe Shahau provided suggestions during the meeting regarding the challenges companies may face when adopting classification standards, including the level of granularity of disclosure content. Kasim and Owen recommended that RDF provide feedback on the IFRS Sustainability Disclosure Standards issued by the IFRS Foundation for ISSB's Future Reference and Discussions. To enhance the capability of Taiwanese companies in disclosing sustainability information and preparing sustainability reports, our DF will host the 2023 ESG Summit on November the 16th at the Taipei International Convention Center. The summit will focus on aligning with international standards in sustainability disclosure and include four professional seminars and a sustainability disclosure case-sharing session, actively promoting ESG. And improving the quality of sustainability information disclosure in Taiwan. For more details about the event, please visit the RDF official website at www.rdf.org.tw.